Welcome to episode 12 of Booty and Bossy, Eat, Drink, Knit. Today, we're going to focus on another knitting store that we visited while we were in Edmonds, Washington, called All Wound Up. And we're also going to introduce you to a wonderful cookbook by Hetty McGinnon called Community. But before we do that, Booty, inquiring minds want to know, how is mom? Well, much like episode two, mom's okay. Mom's okay. She has been getting a lot of physical therapy and occupational therapy, and she's doing great. She's making a lot of progress. She's still in a rehab, and I guess they call it skilled nursing facility these days, not to be confused with the addiction rehabs. So, (laughs) and yeah, and she didn't take much of the pain pills at all. I mean, very proud of you for that, mom. Yeah, this was an opportunity and you steered away. Good job. Yeah, it turns out the the side effects from those are really terrible. So she's making a lot of progress and we hope that she'll be able to go back to her place this week. Speaking of sort of vocabulary, we've learned some important terms. Every time you delve into a new world, like the world of skilled nursing, So we learned the term pink sweater, that mom is a pink sweater. That is a term for somebody who is injured, but still mentally acute. And we learned that a pink sweater is highly desirable as a patient. So it just so happened that I was test knitting a pink sweater. So I was able to give her the pink sweater that I was making, which was actually a really good project for this type of thing. It was a lot of mindless stockinette knitting. So that was a good project to be working on. And then I finished it and gave it to her. Because (laughs) she's a pink sweater. Yeah, because she's a pink sweater lady. The other day, Booty brought over the Vacation Gone Awry cocktail. I think she enjoyed that very much. Well, she requested it after she listened to the podcast and she said, okay, now I really need that cocktail. But I did want to tell people that a couple of people commented on the round ice cubes in the picture. And I wanted to explain, you remember in episode 11, Hmm. I explained that when I went out to visit Booty, One of the things I learned is that she has a very extensive bar. And the other thing she has that I'm totally coveting is she got this refrigerator that makes those round ice cubes. And I'm so jealous. It's a game changer. I got to say, it's awesome. You can get the molds that make round ice cubes and they're, they're great. But then you feel like, okay, I have two of these. So... I can make two drinks, maybe one for me and one for someone that I love. I'm going to have to wait another 24 hours before it freezes two more ice cubes. I did get some of those molds because I was so covetous. And I think people need to understand that you're on the West Coast, I'm on the East Coast. So there's already that dichotomy. But then you're in this condo in Kirkland, which is pretty new. And I live 
in the second oldest house in Sturbridge that was built in 1759. <laughs> so the idea of having a refrigerator that would make these beautiful round ice cubes. Well, and it's also a factor of you want something big because you don't want it to melt, melt too quickly and then dilute your drink. But I think it's also not too big. There's a problem with it being too big and... Well, then it's like a softball and it hits you in the face when you take a drink. I mean that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it's the sharp edges of the cubed ice that are dangerous. Anyway, I I indulged in one of those molds and I, I thought yours was maybe about an inch and a half in diameter. I think yours was maybe bigger than that. Yeah, I think it's more like two inches. inches. Okay. So I got one of those molds. I was very excited because I was like, here in my colonial home, (laughs) we are going to have round ice cubes. So I put it in and I took it out and all the ice cubes kind of looked like the planet Saturn. Okay, they had this, they look, they had this little oh. round thing, and the, the little <laughs> ring, it was sort of like Saturn, it, except it was like Saturn after it had been hit by a meteor, because half of it was missing. Oh, oh, it just did. Uh, it didn't go all the way to the top. I, uh, I did another round and it, it's getting better. Okay. But I got to say, if you want really awesome ice cubes like booty has to match her extensive (laughs) bar you're gonna have to buy that refrigerator it is really nice it's the main reason i got that refrigerator (laughs) it's funny you say our condo is new because it's about almost 30 years old Yeah, but compared to 1759 yeah it's all that's like still in utero That's like not even born yet. So mom's okay. She's enjoying cocktails when she can get them. (laughs) When you bring them over. When I bring them over. So for the recipe, let's talk recipe. This was a book that I actually heard Hetty McKinnon, who is the author of it, interviewed on the Milk Street podcast, which if any of you are really into cooking, that's a great podcast. She was interviewed, I think it was, and we'll put a link in the September 2nd, 2022 episode. My husband and I both listened to it. And then for Valentine's Day, he got me the cookbook in the middle of March, but never mind. Anyway, so because we're we're on the, the fast track to all these things. But I love the story that she told of her parents immigrated to Australia in the 1960s. So she kind of had this interesting history of background of Asian parents, but living in Australia as immigrants. And after she had her third child, I think she had a day job and she decided to not work and she started making these salads and she made these salads in and delivered them initially it was just kind of a little business she's a vegetarian so she delivered these salads on her bicycle which her husband bought for her around her community in surrey hills and then eventually it got bigger and bigger and eventually she ended up starting i guess it was a a restaurant called Arthur Street Kitchen, specifically for vegetarians. 
that became her business. And she self-published the first edition of the cookbook Community Salad Recipes from Arthur Street Kitchen. And again, that's by Hetty McKinnon. Self-published that in 2014, and it was immediately an instant bestseller. So she came out with a second revised and updated with some new recipes in 2019. And she actually has another cookbook out as well. And I think that was what she was promoting um, in the Milk Street podcast. But one of the things that I loved about it was she talked about never underestimate the power of your community. This started off as just making salads for friends and people around the neighborhood. And it grew into something that she's known worldwide for her vegetarian fusion cuisine. And I just thought that was a great story. It kind of reminded me, I I feel like we've received a lot of support from friends and family. And it's not that we're going to become a worldwide phenomenon. (laughs) We're not. (laughs) But but the power of feeling that support. Yes. Thank you to everyone who has reached out and given us words of encouragement and support. We so appreciate it. And it really helps us keep going. (laughs) Yes. One of the things I like about this cookbook is that, well, we'll provide the information on the cookbook and hopefully we can give you the the recipe, but we're still waiting to hear from the publisher. But she has a section on the larder. What do you want to have in your larder? And a lot of this stuff is not necessarily things that I had, but she makes the point that, you know, you start with one recipe and maybe you get one ingredient that you didn't have. And then over time, you try some other recipes. These are salads, but I really think that's kind of a misnomer because they're really full meals. And that's the other thing that I like that she has is the anatomy of this meal. She compares it to a novel. So the old English professor in me like that analogy. Oh, yes. Where you have the vegetable protagonist, the (laughs) hero of the story. She roasts a lot of vegetables, which love that. The supporting act is always some sort of bean, protein, chickpeas, quinoa, noodles, rice, pasta, you know, farro, that kind of thing. Then it's always got some fresh greens. And then she uses a lot of herbs. Mm. And the textural plot twist Mm. is she uses a lot of like toasted nuts. Mm. And that was the thing that I didn't have for this one recipe, but and I seeds. called for uh, pumpkin seeds, but it, that, that adds such a good crunch. And then she's got great recipes for vinaigrette or like a spicy peanut sauce or sesame sauce and that sort of thing. I yeah, don't know, Booty, if you wanted to add anything. The sauces are amazing. What I love about it is the ingredients come together in a really great way. And that's the sort of the novel formula with having the herbs and the protein. You feel really good after you eat it. Who doesn't love a cheeseburger until after they've eaten the cheeseburger? Mm. <laughs> and it's like Not feeling so good after. Not yeah. so great. And these, you just, your body feels good. And you don't feel like, oh, I just had a salad. 
where's the other half of my meal? You feel like you're full. And yet you have room for ice cream. And yet you have room for ice cream. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and of course, my daughter is a vegetarian, so she appreciates that occasionally we make a recipe that she can have too. And it's not just pasta and sauce or right. pizza, but it's something that you actually made a dish. And I love too that it's just one dish. You can serve it, you know, with bread or something on the side, but you don't have to really make anything else. I mean, I am planning to have some people over on Friday and I'm going to make the broccoli edamame salad. And I probably will make also salmon or something else to go Mm. with it. But so it can work as a side or as its own thing. And I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes when I'm having a party or having people over, I like, what are we, what are we going to make that's special? That they wouldn't have at home. Right. That's not just the usual meat and potatoes or whatever. And so this feels like something that's special. I also love that it's enough to make for dinner if there's only a few, few of you. And then you have leftovers. Yes. And the next day to have this for lunch, it's perfect. Yeah. She points out, and I think this is so true, that one of the things, I mean, these were salads that she literally packed up and drove around on her bicycle and delivered them. And one of the things is that they're all really good just at room temperature. So you don't have to worry about, is it hot enough or that sort of thing. And in fact, I do remember reading somewhere that most food actually tastes best at room temperature. Mm-hmm. And so they're very packable too. You can make them in advance. I will say that they do not pass the one dish test. They do use several pots, but I do feel like it's worth it to expand your horizons. I like trying new things, but I like to be guided to them. So I guess that's because you spend a lot of time making something. And if it's not great, you're kind of like, eh, hmm, a lot of time, got a lot of ingredients now in the larder that I'm never going to use again, because this was not so great. (laughs) So I hope that we're helping our listener, mom, hi mom, to guide to something that we have tried that we think is really good. The recipe that I first tried, it's on page 137 of Community Salad Recipes from Arthur Street Kitchen by Hetty McKinnon. It's roasted cabbage with lentils and pumpkin seed brown butter. And I thought it was fabulous. The brown (laughs) butter... You make it with a stick of butter, a cup of pumpkin seeds, half teaspoon crushed dried chili flakes, and just salt and pepper. Basically, you just sort of melt the butter and then until it gets brown and is melted and a little foamy, then you add the pumpkin seeds for two or three minutes and the pumpkin seeds get nice and toasted and the butter gets brown and smells a little nutty. You don't, you want to make sure that it doesn't burn And then you pour it in the bowl and you stir in the chili flakes there and just kind of set it aside. It's just this wonderful nutty. And that's kind of the star of the show is Mm -hmm. the, the pumpkin seeds and the nuttiness that you get. But then you 
cook about a cup of the small green French. How do you say that? P-U-Y? I would say P, but <laughs> like, um, yeah, because like Guy de Maupassant is G-U-Y. Yeah. Okay. Super. Um, Which you could get I, at Trader Joe's. At, at several of the ingredients can be found. At yeah, I actually did have these in my larder. I think I got them for another recipe. Oh, what's that? Red Mill? Yeah. They sell them in there. I think they're like petite French lentils. Mm. But they're really nice because they're small. And you know how sometimes lentils get a little mushy? These kind of mm. keep their bite to them. So you cook those. And then you then you roast the cabbage. And any vegetable that's roasted, I'm like, sign me up. You kind of cut it into wedges. You roast the cabbage until it starts to color. Then you remove it, turn them over so they're getting evenly on each side, turn over the wedges, and then you add the shallots and drizzle those with a little bit of oil, then cook it for another like 10 to 15 minutes. But like I said, you want the cabbage to have this nice char and the shallots to be a little crispy. And then you basically put the lentils on the bottom, you put the cabbage and the shallots on top, and then you sprinkle the browned butter with the pumpkin seeds. And then on top, which seems kind of weird, but is absolutely delicious, fresh lime juice mm -hmm. and a fresh cilantro. She calls it coriander because she's from Australia. Right. There's a few things in there, like she has it as S chalet, S shallots like e, yeah e in front and those are just shallots there's there were a couple things that i had not for that recipe but for i couldn't find chinese onions i found scallions and that's what i use so i think yeah. you can substitute some sometimes for if you can't find exactly what she's talking about then you can find something close and i mean here in Kirkland, we're close to Seattle, and so we get a lot of Asian grocery stores. There's probably a lot of things that you can get here that might be harder to get if you're in Ohio or... Sturbridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> I usually write in my cookbooks, like I usually put in the date and write. So this is what I wrote. This is the first thing I made from this cookbook that Doug gave me for Valentine's Day in 2023. Okay, it did come in March, but never mind. The rare recipe where I would not change a thing. <laughs> I know. And you can assemble everything in the time that it takes to roast the cabbage. So I really like that. Basically, however long it takes you to cook the cabbage. Perfect blend of textures and everything in it adds something and complements everything else. Don't leave anything out, especially the lime and cilantro. A quote from my husband, quote, a very satisfying meal unto itself. He did have two helpings. <laughs> if you are ever lucky enough to receive a cookbook from Bossy, she writes the best notes. One of my favorite ones was, I think it might have been a cookbook you gave to somebody else. It had a muffin recipe. And on the side, she wrote, this muffin is pretty good. 
But here's another one that I like even better. And she wrote the entire recipe for the other muffins that she likes better. Mm, I know. I don't know. I'm kind of embarrassed by that now. But at the time, I thought it was very helpful. But it's funny because I was talking this morning with my husband about good vegetarian recipes. Mm. And he would say this is a good one. The recipe, you know, it's a good vegetarian recipe. And this is terrible. Even after you eat it, you don't say or think that was good, but it would have been even better if it had a little bit of bacon yeah, or maybe a little bit of sausage, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this was a recipe where we didn't say that at the end. It's a miracle. A lot of it is that all of these recipes, at least the the ones that I've made so far, they have some kind of grain in there. So you don't feel like you're missing. I think that's the problem when you have just a salad for dinner and you don't have any grains, then you feel like, wait, there's something missing here. It has protein as well. Yep. So in this case, the lentils would be both the grain and the protein. And the pumpkin seeds too. Right. And the pumpkin seeds. I think that's where she really hit the mark, making it filling and satisfying on all fronts. So, and we want to talk about one more. That was my winner, winner. We used to say chicken dinner, but we'll say winner, winner, vegetarian dinner. (laughs) Yeah. But what was the one that you liked the best, Booty? Well, I really loved the sweet sesame broccoli and edamame with quinoa. And in this case, you take a couple of broccoli heads that you cut in just the the floret, the tops of the broccoli. Then you're going to take edamame beans, quinoa, and then this sauce is tahini, garlic, tamari, honey, apple cider vinegar, mirin, sesame oil, and sea salt. So you're going to make the quinoa and then you're blanching the broccoli. And then you add the edamame to your broccoli water. Actually, you know what? I didn't do any of these the way she... (laughs) So (laughs) what I did was... I steamed the broccoli and then I couldn't find edamame that was just shelled edamame. I'm pretty sure they have that at Trader Joe's, but I didn't want to make another trip. So I had the edamame in the shells, but frozen and I steamed it and then took out all the beans. beans. So in retrospect, was that more time than going to Trader Joe's? I'm not sure. (laughs) But it actually wasn't that bad. And they're kind of fun to to pop out of their pods. And then I made the quinoa. And the thing about quinoa is if you make it well, and this recipe guides you on how to do that, it's not going to be bitter. There are times when I've had it where it's, it's just not good. So in this case, you're making it kind of like pasta, you're boiling it in water and then you're draining it. It was excellent. It was a tricolor quinoa from Trader Joe's. And I, I know in other recipes, she talks about adding a little bit of vegetable dock mm. that, that can help it with the bitterness. But I agree. I didn't have a problem with it 
coming out bitter at all. Yeah, it is supposed to boil it for 20 minutes. And then you combine your broccoli with your edamame and sesame oil. And then you've also got some seeds in here. You've got a quarter cup of toasted sesame seeds, and then which are white. And then you've got two tablespoons black sesame seeds. The one thing I couldn't find was the nigella seeds. So yeah, I didn't have that either. They're very small. I almost wondered if you had like chia seeds, you could probably maybe use those. But yeah. In the U.S., apparently it's called black cumin. I'm guessing it's something that I could have found in an Asian grocery store. So you add the sesame seeds, the sesame sauce, and cilantro. And that's it. And I just, I thought it was really, really good. My picky eater, the pickiest eater in my family is Mm. my husband. Mm. And he really liked it. He did. He did. He liked, yeah, I know. So one of the things I started doing was I make double the sauce of all these things, because I just feel like if you're going to measure out six ingredients, you might as well double it, hoping it's going to be good. And then you'll have the sauce made for the next time. But with this one, so I doubled it. And I don't know if my garlic cloves were just supersized me garlic cloves, but it was a lot of garlic. But the sauce, the sweet sesame sauce, it was so, to me, that was kind of the star of the show. So I had that since I doubled the recipe. I sprinkled a little bit on the top. I thought it was really good. And I was making the comment this morning that, I didn't think it needed bacon. <laughs> the ultimate compliment for a vegetarian okay. recipe. Yeah. And my lovely husband was only half listening to me. And he said, oh, that would be really good. That's bacon. <laughs> so well, we're I not on the same page about yeah, that. Everything's better with bacon. I really don't think it needs bacon. And just super fresh you get this kind of nice creamy with the sesame sauce i didn't have tahini in my larder but that actually is something i often have in the summertime it was easy to find there were actually several different kinds of tahini in the safeway that one wasn't hard the yeah mirin wasn't hard to get it i and i didn't have mirin but I have had other recipes that have called for that. And I thought, I'm not going to buy that. But I did go out and buy it. It is a, it's kind of like a Japanese sort of sweet Mm -hmm. rice wine. I did read on the Google that you could substitute dry sherry. I'm glad I have it now because, you know. We don't have it because we ran out of it because it's a Mm. nice sweet sauce. (laughs) Yeah. So, yes. We like that. Well, and I have to say, my daughter made the vegetarian has now made her own vegetable stock. And what she did, if you are a vegetarian and you want to go to the treble and you have a food dehydrator, I'm probably cutting this whole thing out because (laughs) (laughs) she took all of the leftover parts of the vegetables like the mm. onion skins, the, the carrot peelings, 
whatever you were going to compost from all the vegetables that you chopped up, the cilantro, all mm. of that, you put it in your food dehydrator, dehydrate it. And she also had a bunch of leeks. And, oh, that would be good. Yeah, that would be good. And then you dry it all out and then you just put it in your food processor or your blender and then you've got this basically a powder you add salt and pepper and that's your that's how you make your vegetable stock you just add that to water okay i'm jealous of your food dehydrator now too (laughs) food dehydrator and you got the round ice cubes we here in colonial america don't have either of those well the problem with the food dehydrator is we also have a very small apartment and so it takes up a lot of counter space (laughs) and it runs you know you'd have you have to run it overnight so i don't don't be jealous of the food dehydrator okay but anyway well we highly recommend hetty mckinnon's community salad recipes from arthur street kitchen Listen to the podcast, too, on Milk Street. Uh, That's a great podcast. Get a lot of good ideas and information. I would definitely recommend the sweet sesame broccoli with edamame and quinoa and the roasted cabbage with lentils and pumpkin seed brown butter. These are winner, winner, vegetarian dinner. (laughs) So good. So, Booty, what, what, what are you knitting? Well, I have finished a horse for Melissa, our sister. Of course. A horse, of course. Melissa used to have a horse when she was little named Charlie. <laughs> oh, my God. I forgot about Charlie. Uh, she. What am I saying she used to have? She still has Charlie. She still has Charlie somewhere. She still has Charlie. And Charlie was very cute, of course. Her actual horse is named Hawthorne, and he's got a star on the top of his head. So he's black. He's a Percheron, so he's in a ginormous. And this is actually a fairly large stuffed animal. The legs are super long. So Bossy gave me the book for this. I found the book. I was with my friend. We were on the Cape, Cape Cod, and we passed the Black Pearl. And they had this book, Knitted Animal Friends by Louise Crowther. And I tried to buy the book and she was like, oh, that's not for sale. (laughs) (laughs) I had to go home and order it. Oh, Uh, But the most fabulous book. Well, so the animals are adorable. I would say, especially their heads. They're just super cute. They're very fun to make. They're clothes though are just Mm. over the top adorable they're the horse is getting eventually a set of overalls so right now he's naked well well and the the instructions are great so when we went to all wound up they had the horse out on display and it was super adorable in person you know i think they sold out of the book and they sold out of the book, but luckily yeah. they already had the book. And they had the yarn. The yarn is sheep, just S C H E E P. So sort of like sheep, J E S. One thing we loved about it 
so this is the horse was made with stonewashed sheep and it takes two i was able to make the whole horse with two skeins i i did wind up adding some black yarn for the mane and the tail i'm not sure i think i would have run short on the yarn if i didn't add in the black but that's because the pattern actually has two colors so they say hmm. two of the one color for for most of the horse and then another one for the mane and the tail we love the yarn for having a little tab in the center so that oh my god why doesn't everybody use a little thing that says easy start easy start it's just like a little sticker that is around the end of the skein but in the middle and so you can just <gasps> easy start says it all yeah. <laughs> yeah. so great it's like like how many times have you like basically almost unwound an entire ball of yarn looking for the end that that pretty much always happens to me yeah. like to the point where I'm like surprised if I find it right away like exactly. oh there it is huh. oh, yes so thank you Shepjes, sorry we're not <laughs> they call that they call that yarn barf when it's when you don't get it right okay that's what it looks like like bleh. yeah <laughs> i didn't know there was a term for it yes but... we are not alone in feeling like this could be done better and sheep has found a way to do it better so sport weight uh or at least mine was 78 percent cotton 22 percent acrylic is that yeah, yeah. Well, and the nice thing about toys, as we know, is you can use whatever yarn you have and then, you know, it'll be bigger or smaller depending on what gauge you get. But this one is knit on fairly small needles. Uh, it says 2.75 millimeter, which I think... It's size two, I think. This is size two, yeah. So it's, and it has to be knit tightly because you're going to stuff it if you didn't knit it that tightly then the stuffing would come out but i just love this book actually louise crowther i think she's british and she has two books i gave you both the knitted animal friends is mainly domestic ish yeah there's yeah you've got a on the cover there's, there's cat the... dog horse mouse archie the squirrel charlotte the fox Maisie pig raccoon owl and then the the other book is wild animals right but the designs are just and you know it's all kind of the same arms and legs and body i'm making one but i don't think i can say what i'm making because it's a surprise for mom it's her consolation for breaking her pelvis in two places <laughs> here's so a little all... stuffed animal that'll make you feel better mom <laughs> it's all been worth it <laughs> it's all been worth it i brought over the knitted bird that i had made her and a little knitted chick that her friend had made her that really lifted her spirits that she could look over and see this goofy bird and <laughs> well and the outfits 
are just the little cardigan sweaters and the, the the little dresses. I'm looking at the one for the pig where it's got sort of all this lace open work and then it has a little sweater. And the one for the fox has this little green coat with a collar. <laughs> just, and they've all got panties too, because, you know, you right. got to have panties and 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 shoes there's a variety of shoes so they're all the same size so you know you could mix and match the clothes and stuff but it was interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine who just had a baby and I was saying to her well you know I I want to make you something I want to knit you something do you want a hat and she was like oh we got enough hats (laughs) you know and it's like "Mm, a sweater you know and then I was like, or I could make you, I could, a little knitted toy. And she she was immediately like, oh my God, that would be so great. And it occurred to me that the problem with the blankets and the hats and the little baby sweaters is that they wear them for, if if you're lucky, two months. Well, the blanket they can keep for forever. The blanket they can keep, yeah. But, yeah. but the blankets take a long time. But the blankets take a lot. Well, the toys take a fair amount of time. They do. You're me. Me too. These are a bigger project because you're looking at an animal that's, I think she says something like 16 inches. I would say. 16 or, yeah, these are, so remember how we made the little bunnies? Yeah. Those, those are the stubby American bunnies. These are the Paris supermodel long leg long arm versions of the knitted stuffed animals i mean like i felt like i was knitting the legs forever (laughs) the legs are definitely super long if you wanted to make the legs shorter you could the thing i like about the longer legs is that you can cross them yes so i would I would do at least three quarters of what her. Well, and the other thing is if you do, if you shorten the legs, then the proportion for the clothes is probably going to be a little off too. Right. So So if you're making the pants, you'd have to adjust that. The skirts might be okay, but. I mean, it's true. The little bunny that I made, well, you made it too. You cannot cross the legs. They just kind of sit there open for business. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but i think they're a good scale for a little kid yeah you know, maybe that, this is something that yeah. maybe they would grow into that it would be a decoration to start in the nursery and then they would eventually play with it but all of the little clothes like the the fox that's got a little dress and panties and then a, a little green collared coat and then she also has a pocketbook the pocketbook is so cute yeah <laughs> the the coat and sweater i when i love the idea of okay so i've made this horse and then next year it could have a coat yes and... yeah like that that's a great point that if you're making something for a niece or a nephew and actually my my one nephew his spirit animal is a raccoon and there is uh stanley the raccoon in here 
he's pretty cute. And he's a boy too, which is good. It could be the kind of thing where you could make a different outfit every year or something because I could definitely see them. The rabbit has a little cardigan that has carrots on it around the yoke. <laughs> I'm you loving know. the squirrel. The squirrel has a sweater with an intarsia tie at the front. Yes. <laughs> they can have a little tie and a vest. This is so cute. Just the attention to detail around every yeah the squirrel and he he's also got that's archie the squirrel and he's got like his little vest even i think has pockets or maybe they're right. faux pockets but yeah. so yeah. stinking cute i mean yeah so i mean the attention to detail is just so dear i mean even the Maisie the pig you know she's got this little pink dress with a little cardigan that's got all sorts of fancy knitting. And I don't think any of it's too hard, actually. I mean, no, I don't think so either. I mean, I would say that sometimes it's helpful if you've had some experience with sewing a garment together that you, you might struggle a little bit in kind of the finishing parts yeah. of it. But overall, I think the instructions are very clear and I love the little shoes. I mean, the shoes are just great. That, but I do remember when I made the shoes for the bunny that they're they're you know they're small. You're d doing small mm -hmm. needles, and it can be a little fussy, but the effect is is just awesome. You know, a wide variety of animals. If you're thinking about making, you know, if you have somebody in your life that has a spirit animal, like a horse. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps a hedgehog you will find all of the animals between the two books by Louise Crowther and you know like I said all of the animals are the same size so you can mix and match the outfits yeah like I think the horse should have the owl outfit it's like a little cabled sweater and little cabled pants like has a cable down the side <laughs> I know and one of them has like cargo pants so all wound up in Edmonds Washington that yeah, was we should talk more about all wound up <laughs> yeah so we went to all wound up right before they were closing because we were trying to fit in a yarn shop on our many visits to Edmonds when our mom was in the hospital and they were very nice about us being there, you know, around closing time. And uh, their store is organized by weight of yarn. So you have your worsted, your sport, your fingering. It had a good variety of yarn. I had, I had not seen the sheepjas in other places. I'm sure that it is fairly easy to get, but it was nice that they had it there and they had a, a wide variety of color options. And the other thing they had was the National Parks hats. Yes. So they had, well, they didn't have the book because they were sold out of it. Knitting the National Parks, 63 easy to follow designs for beautiful beanies inspired by the U.S. National Parks by Nancy Bates. And they had kits, I guess every month or so, the owner would feature a different park and have a kit. 
available for that park. So the hats were, and you can look in the show notes to see a picture of all the hats. They were fabulous. We have this wonderful world where we can order things online, but you don't always know what you're going to get. And so like a box of chocolates. (laughs) In this case, seeing the horse in person and seeing the hats in person, I think makes a big difference. I mean, I love the story of this book. So Booty and I ordered the book. I love the story. So Nancy Bates is, well, she's been knitting for many, many years, and she's been visiting national parks for many, many years. And so she kind of had this moment where she thought, why am I not knitting hats inspired by the national park? Because you go to the park and you want sort of something to remember. I mean, these parks are amazing. To me, it was the perfect combination of it's organized by roughly geographically and basically each park inspired the design for a hat. It might be some kind of architectural feature like the New River Gorge in West Virginia that the hat sort of has that you've probably seen the picture of the famous bridge that sort Mm -hmm. of spans the gorge so that was kind of inspired by that but then others are inspired by the color schema like I, I love the one for the Bryce Canyon it's got cool colors that you've seen the but probably pictures of Bryce Canyon. It's the world's largest collection of hoodoos, you know, those sort of columns of oddly shaped, beautiful stones that have been made by years and years of erosion. And they're these beautiful orangey, corally white, you know, and so that that was kind of inspired by the structure and the, the colors. I especially loved, and that was an example of one, it's on page 63, where she had a picture of somebody wearing the hat and in the background was the topography that inspired oh, yeah. it. Yeah. And each one gives just a very brief story of what makes this place special and then how the hat is supposed to reflect it. And she said, you know, my whole aim in this is to inspire knitting and also inspire people visiting these beautiful places because that she finds her greatest inspiration in in nature. And I just wanted to go to all of these places. I mean, I'd been to some, but was just like, sign me up. I want to go to Bryce Canyon. Oh, yeah, definitely. As a test of this, I I told my son I want to make him a hat and which one. So we were looking through the book together, and he's going to be a senior at the University of Utah in the fall. And there are several... Utah ones and then we live in Kirkland so then there's the Mount Rainier and the Olympic Peninsula gave me a new appreciation for where we live you know it's close by all these things but so the one we settled on was actually is on the cover it's the Zion and I have to say unfortunately because he pretty much goes to the university and comes home on breaks he doesn't get a chance to see much of the, (laughs) although he does live in an apartment that looks out on the 
the beautiful view of the mountains. So there's that. But <laughs> I loved that you actually have the tree in the hat for the leaves or the branches. They use bottles, which I think is super fun. That's very cool. Some of the hats are kind of textural. Like mm. I thought the one that I don't know that I would make it, but I like the idea of it. It was for Death Valley. It's just one color, but it tried to mimic Death Valley has those. Well, it's 282 feet below sea level. I'm reading from the book. So it gets these saltwater flats that salt comes up in these interesting patterns. And so it tries to mimic the patterns of the saltwater flats in uh, Death Valley's Badwater Basin. So some of them are like that, but then others, I also like the Grand Tetons in Wyoming, you know, mm -hmm. which starts off at the base. It's got just, you know, and I, I remember going there and just incredible wildflowers. So it's kind of mm -hmm. got these yellow flowers at the bottom and then the Grand Tetons, which I believe means big tits. Doesn't yep. that what Tetons means? Yes, yeah. Tetons. Yeah. Big tits. Yep. It sounds so much better in French though. Yeah. We're, we're like, can you imagine if we were like, yeah, we're going to the big tits mountain. No. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just keep the French there. The Titan. Yeah. Um, I love, and I also love that these are really unisex hats. I don't think there's really any, I mean that, yeah, the, the Grand Teton has wildflowers at the bottom, but they're just little, I think they're also bobbles or yeah they're the subtle wildflower you get the the color but without being too girly floral well and I think that's what I like about these is that these are just great hats if they didn't have the connection to the national parks they'd still be cool hats I mean nobody would sit there and be like oh is that the big tits mountain on your head, <laughs> on your head there? Is that what you're wearing? Yeah. It's just great hats. But yeah. knowing that they're, you know, particularly if you went to some of these places, I think I'm actually going to make the Mesa Verde one because mm -hmm. I remember so vividly us visiting that when we were little and living in Colorado. It's on page 139. And it's actually one of the few that's, not inspired by Mesa Verde is, you know, this place where there's ancient Native American tribes built cliffside communities into, into the cliffs. But they also left behind pottery and tools and particularly this black and white, very sort of geometrical pottery. I mean, I remember them selling knockoffs of that in the gift shop, hey? Mm. But... I thought that the hat is black and white and it's inspired by the pottery that right. they were known for and the design. So it's very geometric. And I just thought it was really cool. And again, it's just a cool hat. You don't, you don't have right. to know that. Yeah. That's, I love the wave design in that one. Yeah. It seems to be a very popular book and it, one of those that you find a lot of good stuff. There's really, I want to knit 
almost all of these. (laughs) Yeah. But it just totally made me want to take a trip and go to all these national parks and then knit. Yeah. Well, and they all seem really fun to make. It's one of those that they look great at the end, but they're also really fun to make. And as we discussed in our first episode, a hat is a great project because it's not too big. And even if it's a fairly complicated design, you're going to get through it pretty quickly. I just thought the balance in the text of enough to sort of whet your appetite to know more about why this place was a special place in a national park, and then how the design of it connected to the particular hat, I thought was just great and very inspiring. I think she she achieved her goal of bringing together her two passions for being outdoors and knitting. Yes. Doesn't love that. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. So that was great to, and I should say we did see the national parks book in other knitting stores. They had it at stranded by the sea. So that's where we saw it and they had it in stock, but they did not, they were out of stock at, all wound up. And I liked how they had the kits. You can actually order the kits from Nancy Bates too. Mm. I think she has a website. You can order kits from her. So we will have a video of all wound up. A special thanks to my daughter who took the video. I did get some little buttons there for my special thing that Mm -hmm. I can't talk about for mom. But that does remind me, somebody asked me about the buttons for my arpeggio, and I'll put a picture in the show notes. I finally got around to putting the buttons that I'd bought at Stranded by the Sea on, and I think they look great. I just want to say, though, that these are serious man screw buttons. I mean, they're heavy. You could use a regular size screwdriver on the back if you really wanted to stick these in there. And you need to be careful not to throw it around and poke your eye out with one of your man screw buttons. (laughs) But they're so cool. They're heavy and I don't think they really make a big hole or anything like that. But I will put a picture in the show notes because I did finally get around to putting the buttons on. And I really like the way that they look. I think that looks fabulous. Well, Booty, I think we've come to the end of episode 12. Our This is our prepubescent episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's our tween. It's, it's our tween. tween episode, yes. It's our tween episode. We highly recommend Hetty McKinnon's Communities uh, Salad Recipes from the Arthur Street Kitchen. And actually, we kind of featured three books on this episode. Mm-hmm. Louise Crowther's Knitted Animal Friends with all of their adorable little clothes. And then Nancy Bates Knitting the National Parks, 63 hats. Yay. How great is that? Yay. So three things. And thank you again to all of you who have encouraged us. It's meant a lot for our knitting community here that we're, we realize we're part of and just really appreciate your comments and support keep them coming 
Yes. We're also moderately open to suggestions, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. Moderately is probably good. <laughs> Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, please tell us what recipes you, your tried and true recipes, and we'd love to feature that on one of our episodes and what you're working on, yes. even if it's not knitting, can be something else. We're, we're open to other crafts. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's time to say, whatever you do, don't, don't knit like, like my, my sister. sister. Oh, and check out our show notes on our website, bootyandbossy.com. Yeah. And if you want to email us, it's bootyandbossy at gmail.com. 